Working in the music industry is hard. I know it, I did it. I'd like to introduce to you an amazing man who has been in the music industry successfully crushing it for 30 years. He's going to share how he broke through, stayed focused, and kept on keeping on in order to build a super successful marketing business. But first, a word from our sponsor, iFreedom Hack Now. If you're looking to take your business to the next level, if you're looking to earn more, if you're looking to love more, if you're looking to be more, then go to ifreedomhacknow.com and go through your three keys to freedom training. It's free, it's powerful, and you will love it, won't you? Cue the intro. Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. There you go. Welcome to the real deal on... You are in for a treat this evening. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Muncie Ricci from Skateboard Marketing. Holy crap. Yay. What's going on? What's going on, dude? How you been? Amazing. I, I think the last time we saw each other was in your, which must still be your office, like 25 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, because you were already. If it was back then, it wasn't this spot. It was the old place in Elmont. That's where that was. The second floor, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my old apartment in Elmont. The place was set up as an office. Right. Even my bedroom was part office, except for my bed, <laughs> you know? I didn't really have much personal space. It was kind of cramped, but it's cool. Well, I, I think this is a perfect segue. So let me just, uh, first of all, introduce you. Uh, we've known each other for uh, several decades. Um, been in the music industry for, uh, you've been in it, obviously, for your pretty much your entire life. I uh, made my way out of it. But you have been, you've mastered the art of marketing, of radio promotion, and you have focused on metal basically and crushed it i mean is that would that be a, a fair thing how do you veer much out of that world no nah, pretty much you know i i've always focused on the same thing i mean if you kind of stray from the path and you don't really focus on one thing and one thing only uh you know you kind of you know your thought process the direction of the company the way you like you build and your whole business model, it becomes kind of introverted mm -hmm. and spread thin. And you never really, you never really get the groundbreaking 
you know, result that you really want to get. You know, so the one thing I always learned is to try to stay focused and just do what I do best, and that's metal and hard rock. You know, and, and actually in everything else that kind of goes along with it, whether it's hardcore, industrial, you know, or it's even like, you know, crossover, whether it's suicidal or, you know, leeway or something, depending on who it is. But, you know, if you stay focused and keep your business model in one direction, you know, obviously, and you don't spread yourself thin, obviously you can never go wrong. You know? Amen. So let's let's now go to the beginning. Like, how did you find your way into this field of all the opportunities in the world and and you know so you've been doing this 30 skateboard marketing for 30 years um tell us the journey how did you you know transition how did you pick this what you know why this kind of obviously you must love metal um but like how like how did you get into it why did you get into it oh i mean when I was at a really young age, um, I don't know, I was maybe 11 or 12 or 10. I don't really remember, but uh, I took the Sabotage album from Black Sabbath and the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath album. It was really Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And I listened to it and I was just like so blown away by it. And after listening to it, I said, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do, you know. Obviously, I don't have Ozzy Osbourne's voice, you know. <laughs> I don't think too many people do outside of Ozzy. Yep. Um, so, you know, I uh, I bought a guitar when I was young, and I started playing in a band, and obviously we didn't get signed. So uh, I went back to what I really knew best, and that was like being an engineer in a studio. And uh, went back in from there. I went to college, in, into college, and started doing college radio. And I kind of really like the whole aspect and the art of promotion. I mean, in most cases, most people think it's just a, a industry guy picking up the phone and calling radio stations saying, hey, you know, play my record. Hey, did you listen to this? It's really not, you know, it's uh, the complete opposite. But when you say complete opposite, what, how do you mean? Well, most people think that they can just go in and pick up the phone. Oh, I can do that. They pick up the phone and realize that, no, I can't do that. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of things that come into play, which obviously you're a pro, you know. I mean, you need your relationships, yeah. you know. You have to, like, kind of know how to present yourself, you know. You have to know how not to piss people off, you know. And people kind of learn how not to piss you off. And, you know, everything kind of just goes in a circle. And, you know, you kind of learn, oh, so that's how it's done, you know. It's not just picking up the phone and doing stuff, you know. And it's... The same thing with a guitar player or a bass player. It's not just picking up their racks and uh, playing a riff. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be something that you feel. You know, so I just uh, I just kind of decided at that point that's what I wanted to do. So uh, I went from there. I went to Combat Records. And I was working part-time for CMJ Media. So I used to go in on the weekends and collate the magazine and uh, I would write some sporadic editorial, you know, so, you know, in the uh, in the magazine. So that's kind of where I honed my skills and I learned until uh, I wound up at Polygram Records in 1989 and I created the first metal department for the label. And there, I guess, is kind of really where I kind of really learned the art of promotion, you know, Everybody that was there at all, like, 
who were doing national along with me all went on to become CEOs or vice president, general managers of major labels. Wow. You know? Yeah. You know, like Brenda went off to be CEO at Interscope and Joe went off to be uh, VPGM at RCA, you know? So, I mean, a lot of talent really came out of, you know, that whole promotion department from the 1989 to early 90s era. Did you have like a mentor or like, how did you obviously it sounds like you had a lot of school of hard knocks and, and you were trial by fire. Did you have anybody that kind of took you under their wing to show you some mistakes to avoid or to send a path or were you just grinding it? Oh yeah, I definitely had the, uh, I definitely had some people teaching me and mentoring me along the way. You know, obviously, you know, David Leach was one of those people and, you know, Joe Riccatelli and Brenda and, uh, you know, all of them kind of really taught me stuff that I know today. And even back at Combat Records, you know, Alan was everybody's boss. And he had said to me one day, all you have in this business is your reputation. Don't fuck it up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of took those words of wisdom and said, "Okay, you know. You just don't go do stupid things because when you do stupid things, stupid things happen. Yeah. You know, so. So you know, did you. That's where I kind of really built on that. But, dude, you never stop learning. Right. You know, here it is. It's 30 years later. And every day I get in into the office and I start doing something. I'm like, you know, why didn't I think of doing that 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, things just come to you. You're like, how did I not see that? You know, so that's just. The human nature in somebody, you, you know, as good as you can be at something, you never really see everything until sometimes after the fact. True. Well, and one of the the challenges of success is when something is working, you think that that's always going to work. So sometimes we could get hypnotized into a process that is still delivering some sort of results and we may not veer off of that process to your point, right? I'm sure it sounds like you have a, sometimes a delicate balance on, you know, stay in your lane, like you, you know what works and stay focused. And then sometimes maybe it's like, oh, if I'd done that, it would have done this differently. But at the time you were doing what worked. Well, I mean, I, I kind of grew up with the philosophy of it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and that came from my parents and that came from my grandparents and probably my great grandparents, too. <laughs> it ain't broke. Leave it alone. It's fine. Yeah. You know, so I've always had a philosophy that I kind of set my whole model up against. And, um, you know, everything that we've done through that model always seems to work. Mm-hmm. So. My thought is, okay, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Leave it alone. Yep. Now, I know better in some cases. I know what'll work and what won't work. And you kind of always have to change things up and swap it up and, you know, mix a little something else into it to make it work. But for the most part, yeah, we've, uh, you kind of have to figure out that tender balance of how to approach something without messing it up. And if something is kind of, in a mess how not to mess it up even more or if you're going to build on something what not to do so that it doesn't become a mess (laughs) right 
So <laughs> it happens pretty often a lot in the music industry. Uh, Things kind of become a mess pretty quick, you know? Yeah, it's a, kind of the nature of the beast when you think about just the freneticness of the artistry and then all the personalities and then, you know, and then obviously the fans and what's going to, you know, get them on board. And, and it's, uh, I mean, you're, you're essentially a psychologist in many ways. And like, how can you present something to multiple angles, right? You've got the artist to deal with, the label to deal with, and then the end user. And they all have different needs, different wants, different everything. And that's a, you, you may or may not be conscious of how, uh, how brilliant the, the, the gig you have is and how brilliant you are to execute because uh, I'm sure there are plenty of, uh, what should I say, uh, bodies on the side of the road uh, in the industry who have not been able to make 30 years, uh, which is insane. I mean, first of all, congratulations. That's that's like that's groundbreaking. Um, so you shared like you stayed in the metal rock thing. Did you ever veer off and find out the hard way that, oh, maybe that's not going to uh, square peg round hole? Nah, you know, I mean, I remember those kids from school. You know, they give you a, tri a circle and a triangle and you got to put it through the thing. You're like three, four years old in preschool. Yeah. And some kids would pick up a hammer because it wouldn't fit. <laughs> we'll make it fit. Yep. And that would like make it fit. You know, I was never kind of really one of those kids, you know. Um, I mean, you got to realize there's a lot of talent that a lot of people that went came from labels and management companies and radio. And a lot of times, you know, you, the success and the length of your career isn't so much by your talent and your ability to make stuff happen as much as being in the right place at the right time or the right position. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you look at it from, from radio, you know at some point your station is going to get sold. Right. Okay. You know the station's going to flip formats. And it doesn't matter whether the station has stick or not. You're going to get sold. It's going to flip formats. A new PD comes in, a new consultant comes in. And what happens? He cleans house and he brings in all fresh blood. And, you know, you're, you're going to get that everywhere, especially at, at rock radio, because it's a very, it's a very young driven format. Mm. But you notice the people that have the most longevity in radio are the production guys and the engineers. Because in production, you know, all you have to do is know how to work a board and edit and put jingles together. And you could be 80 years old doing the gig for yeah. 50 years, yeah. you know. So, you know, it's kind of cool. But, you know, a lot of radio stations are going to put a 75-year-old guy on air unless he's been on air for 50-something years. Like, you know, Icon. like you know, you look at Scott Muni or, you know, Carol Miller and some of the old New York jocks, you know, His they've been on air in the market forever. And rightfully so. You know, they're, they're a staple mainstay. You don't want to take them off air. Right. Is Fingers still on air? Yeah, sure. Fingers does, uh, you know, he does two to seven on BAB. Fingers Metal Shop is no more, okay. unfortunately. But he does two to seven Monday through Friday on BAB still. So that's cool. Yeah. And I spoke to him actually uh, late, uh, late in the week. Last week I spoke to him. Man, that just that total brings back memories. I lived on Fingers Metal Shop. That was badass. It's wow, memories. So, 
as you so here's an interesting thing and i'd love to hear you know share a little bit like what a day in the life of is but it's changed um so you shared about how you knew you know that label uh record uh, radio stations are going to flip formats are going to get sold i just think of wkrp and you know how that whole thing uh you know they went through some challenges so people you know to understand i guess kind of uh, what that might look like but then satellite came in did that change how you did your your work or did a lot of the guys that you had relationships with in terrestrial go to satellite did that have any impact in the way that you worked no not at all actually it, it in in essence it really helped us oh, great uh, because the whole concept of satellite radio is brilliant because and especially hd radio the only the only downside of HD is not every car has an HD stereo. Right. Okay. And if you remember back in the nineties, when Sirius was just starting up, not everybody had a radio that was compatible with satellite right. either. Yeah. Now here it is 20 years later, every car has Sirius XM in it. It's okay. Yeah. It's come standard. And I think in another few years, every stereo that you buy is going to come standard with an HD channel. Yep. And uh, the beauty of HD is that when you stop and you look at, you know, a lot of stations, like let's say KLBJ in Austin, you know, I mean, no control is the metal show and it's a few hours, but they also have an HD channel, which runs 24 seven all metal in the market. And it's beautiful because now you can get up to 30 spins a week on your record there. The downside is you just don't have the market cue because not everyone has an HD radio, right. you know, but I think that's going to wind up changing. Terrestrial will never go away. There's always going to be a need for being able to turn on a radio and listening to, you know, an FM or an AM feed in a market. You're always going to need that. Right. Not to mention that there's a lot of talent out there and there's a lot of good metal shows and alternative shows and you know, other formats at specialty that are out there. So you're always going to need that, you know, that end, that end play as you might want to put it to find it, find the niche for what it is you want to listen to. But satellite definitely helped us in a big way because it, it really helped us break a lot of bands and especially with ginger, you know? So did based on like everything that the, the accessibility has there been any change in the taste for metal oh uh, yeah well dude you know the, the formats changed drastically over since like the 1980s right you know you don't see hair bands anymore and you know you're not really seeing any grunge bands anymore the one thing that never changes with metal is that when it comes to old school traditional metal, whether it's power metal or old school thrash or just good old fashioned hard rock bands, it's still the same. It's just a newer style, different people, different songs and different everything. And in some cases, the production's a lot better, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, some of them really learn to program in Pro Tools. And, you know, they, all they have to do is go somewhere and mix and then master. And what would it cost like 50 grand to make a record, you know, 30 years ago now just costs you $5,000, you know, it's beautiful. Well, and also, I mean, I, I, that I dealt with that directly. We, uh, that was kind of the, I saw the writing on the wall for what I was doing as a producer 
um the you know the first first record we had i think it was like it was close to 200,000 as the budget which was pretty low at that time then they got dropped and this is what pro tools was out and stuff but it hadn't like blown up entirely they they got dropped and then the manager went back was like no 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 you know give us another shot give us another shot and like tell you what we'll give you 50 grand buy pro tools rig and just make as many songs as you want and then bring us a record when you know when you're done don't hire doug don't do any of that just do it yourself and savvy artists loved it because like i could just wake up i'm inspired they they were really talented so to your point i think it opened up a lot of new ways for people to be creative because they didn't need an engineer to be sitting there cutting tape or you know throwing all the the big mics and you know all of that it really really were able to do it in the box and now as you know i'm sure you've heard the stories of people doing the tracks at their house the drum tracks sending it over to the you know to the next guy and then they lay down the tracks at their house and then the record is done and they were never in the room together yeah dude that happens pretty often yeah you know, and uh, a lot, a lot of our roster, when they get a guest appearance, once they have everything, they make a copy of the hard drive, yeah. and they send the hard drive out. Yeah, they, they go in the studio, they knock it out wherever it is, make a, you know, back it up, and then send it back to them. Yep, it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, that's the that's the beauty of digital. It's easy, you know, very easy. And now you know, it sounds it, good because I think at first there was uh, it wasn't quite as uh, as good as it is today. Oh no, not at all, dude! I remember back in the day, digital was just coming up, and it was such a nightmare to work with. Yep, because nobody really you know fathomed how the system worked. But once you figure it out, it's it's that simple. Oh, it's yeah. really easy. Yep. So walk us a, like a day in the life of like as a as a, well actually two questions one first of all skateboard marketing where did that come from? Okay, I had just started the company and I didn't have a name, and I was on the phone with one of my stations. It was actually Chris Payne from KZRQ in Reno. I was like, dude, I, I don't know, man. I got to come up with a name for the company, and he's like, yeah, hey, we'll figure it out. He goes, I'll sketch to New York on my skate deck and like, we'll go get drunk and we'll figure something out, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, cool. You know, I hung up the phone. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Skateboard marketing. I'll probably get skate punks thinking I sell trucks, wheels and decks, but that's all right. You know, Yeah. So, and I do still get a lot of hits to our website from fans that think we're a skateboard company and have nothing to do with skateboards, you know, wow, that's and uh, that's kind of how the name came about. So it stuck. I filed for a trademark. I drafted my logo and sent it out to copyright the artwork and filed for charter. And lo and behold, I became a corporation. Boom. And here it is. <laughs> I love it. 500 hours later. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so first, like, let's share like a day in the life. Like, what is your, like, the gig? Because I think there might be a lot of people, like you shared, like, they think it's easy. Just pick up the phone. Like, what is your your goal? Like, when you wake up and, and you've got a band, like, A, who hires you? And then what is your goal and how do you know you've succeeded? <clears throat> well, it's a lot more than just picking up the phone and calling stations. You know, I mentioned earlier, you need relationships. Yep. And without relationships, you really don't have anything. Um, or the company kind of has to have a name. 
you know, to itself with some notoriety or just somebody within that company that has credibility where that you can come in and pick up the phone and start to like get your feet wet, but you're still going to need to build your relationships. <clears throat> but the one main thing is it's not just picking up the phone. You know, you got to remember, you know, you have to prep audio files. You know, the one main thing is you have to make sure there's an ISRC code on every audio file that goes out so that you can track your spins at digital. You know, metadata has got to be on everything. So everything's got to be prepped the right way. And that's all that um, you have to do because it's coming from your efforts. Well, yes and no. A lot of times we'll get audio files straight from mastering. Okay. You know, they go they get delivered to A&R. The band delivers the record. Then, you know, promotion or marketing or publicity will send me the record and I'll get everything. And there's no metadata or codes on it because they didn't get into putting them in yet, you know. So by the time they get to the distributor end, everything's done. But I'm getting stuff two, three months beforehand, you know. So it's really before they, uh, you know, that they're prepped and ready to go. So we have to deal with that. You know, then obviously there's trade set up, there's media base and BDS encoding that has to get done. Uh, and then there's your setup, you know, coming up with the setup and getting on the phone and uh, following through with however you want to do it, whether. Uh, you muted. Or not want to, uh, you know, say, okay, we're not going to do a premiere, but we're going to give it to this cat first so that he can play it you know, at 9 a.m., and then we're going to service the track at 9.30, you know? Or if it's something where everybody knows the track is coming out and as part of the setup, you know, you do a Q&A and you have a station and a writer kind of host a Q&A thing and you premiere something that way, you know? So you're I mean, arranging really that with the band? So you're saying the Q&A, you'll, you'll get the band and say, hey, go on such and such a station to uh, talk about the, the record? Yeah, it would be a joint effort between us, publicity and marketing and digital and everybody at the label. So it's a whole team effort. You know, it's not just one guy. Right. So, you know, they, when a record's coming out, uh, you're getting on a, like a conference call with everybody and you're putting together like a, a business plan. Always. We have to have a conference call. We have to have a setup. We need to get a timeline together. You know, once we have all that in place and we know what we're going to do, it makes the job so much easier. You know, and then obviously when the tour comes and there's a tour announcement, then, you know, it's obviously we need to schedule phoners. There's guest lists. There's, you know, in-person interviews, you know, the stage announcement if we want to, you know, if the band, the headliner, obviously the venue and the band as the headliner have final say in who can do a stage announcement, whether there will be or there won't be, yeah. you know, it's up to the band actually. And, um, you know, and that's pretty much it. You know, there's, there's a lot of small details. It's very detailed and you just have to focus mm -hmm. on it. So it's kind of not one of those jobs that you can just say, go out and drink all night and party like a rock star and show up and do the gig, you know? Well, it, it also, it, it seems like, you know, oftentimes, like to, to your point, you know, there's that, uh, you ever see those memes where it's like, you know, what my friends think I do, what the bands think I do, what my parents think I do, right? And it's all like glamorous or, or whatever. And then it's like what I really do. And it sounds like what you're really doing is you're, you know, you're, you're making connections, but you're like getting really granular on like arranging. It's like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle that you're putting together like on the fly. 
Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, you have to, you know, it's definitely something where when I get in in the morning, I have to be on point, you know. I, I just can't walk in here and be a mess and actually get anything done. It becomes the most unproductive day for me, you know. <laughs> how many projects so, can you work on at one time? How many projects? Yeah, like, or how many bands, how many releases, like, what's um, your... I mean, usually we take about six or seven or eight, you know, and then we always get a few that are just servicing. You know, the the label or management will hire us just to throw it out there. And if somebody wants an interview or needs something, take care of it. And I could take 20 of those all day, every day, you know, because there's really not a lot of time or effort that has to go into it, you know? Right. It's just servicing it and getting it out there. So I've always liked to focus on about seven or so, eight at the most, every month because that's a good number where I can deliver and get results and anything over that, you know, it starts getting a little tacky and hairy. Right. So when, you know, to put a a timestamp on this as well is, um, when COVID and lockdowns and, you know, shows and, you know, stopped going and all of that, what, how did that impact you? Um, did it and were you, you know, what did you do about it? Well, it didn't slow us down at all. We actually got busier because bands were home. They had nothing to do. And at that point, what, you know, what's there to do except release singles to keep streaming numbers up? Right. So we were throwing a lot of singles out on, you know, radio samples just to keep streaming numbers moving, you know. Then bands started doing the live streams, you know, and if it they were in Europe, it was like five or ten euro and you got a live stream, you know, so that's how a lot of artists survived during that. But radio and press and digital actually got busier. I just feel v- really bad for security and event staff yeah. and venues all the way down to catering and the tour bus. And, you know, the girl that shows up who is the massage therapist backstage at every show. Yep. I mean, that's their bread and butter. And for the last like year and a half, everyone's been sitting home, not being able to do anything. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's kind of frustrating. You know, I think that they really didn't need to shut everything down. You know, I just think they really needed to take a little more precaution in what you had to do and how you had to do it. That's really yeah, all I think. And we would have been fine. Kind of like the way you take on a project you kind of have all this information that comes in you have these challenges that you have you think through it you go okay let me look at what are the consequences of this what are the consequences of that what can i put in place should that happen and then you just think it through and then you succeed prepare yeah we we, you know i've done pretty well with it i I guess maybe i have a knack for it i don't really know i mean that's just what we do yeah and you know when you have when you have the knack for something it's cool but and you also me, dude, see it it's a curse because you see when it's not being done oh dude <laughs> i've kicked myself in the ass numerous times i'm like how did i not see that how did that happen no this can't be right you know and there's sometimes i know something's gonna work and it just doesn't work and not, and not every record is gonna react mm. you just have to figure out what chemistry works because there's no science to making something work you know it's not like you know in chemistry class you know there's a catalyst that you can do for this or there's something you can put into that which is going to make this happen 
and it'll always work because physics says it will and chemistry says it will right doesn't really work that way and it kind of gets sometimes it gets pretty frustrating i know so was there ever a record that you heard and it can't like when you got it you were like this is insane holy crap it's gonna blow up and it didn't and then has there ever been a time where you got something and you were like this is crap and it blew up yeah it's happened quite a few times I don't want to mention artists' names, um, but yeah, it's happened pretty often, and it will continue to happen. You know, that's just part of the gig. You know, it's you know, it's one of the things you have to accept in in your career that you're going to get stuff you think that you envision is going to be amazing, and nothing happens, and then you get a record like I don't think that's going to do anything. You throw it out there, and it blows up. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'll I'll share a story uh, since it's not one of uh, your artists or anything, but it was a funny uh, thing. Do you know Shane Keister? Do you remember Shane? It's more he's a country guy. He played with Elvis. He's played on like every major record. And he's like, he goes, dude, he goes, I I just sometimes I I can't pick him. He goes, I remember I was on this uh, on this gig and uh, I, I played, you know, did all these songs. And there's this one song. It was Kenny Rogers. And he's like, this one song we came out. And, and I, I said to to Paul, the drummer, I was like, dude, I don't get this song at all. I, just, I don't get it. And he the drummer's like, dude, this is a hit. And he's like, I don't know. It's just something. I, no, I just don't get it. It was Lucille. Wow. <laughs> So like you just you never know what what mood you're in or how something hits you as well at that time, right? So that, again, like that chemistry, there's so many other things at play that you know the the great news is is that doesn't affect you. Like you don't, I'm I'm going to hallucinate. Your passion is about the work that you don't hear a song or you know give extra favor because you think that it's going to be huge. You do what you do because you're a professional, and then how it works out, you get to celebrate or be confused if it doesn't do what you think it's going to do. Yeah, I celebrate a lot and I get confused a lot. That's just nature. That's just the nature of the beast, yeah. you know? And, you know, you just learn to live with it and you learn to take it as a grain of salt. And once, once you, once you kind of teach yourself, you know, okay, this is what's going to happen and you know how to handle and how to deal with it. <clears throat> the gig becomes so much easier. So what do you do? Like, if you're having a, a bad day or a bad moment or something doesn't go the way you hoped or had planned, because there's a lot of moving parts that you've got moving. Um, oh, how do you adjust? What What is like something you do to to get yourself, as you shared, to get refocused? Um, ironically, my personality, I'm always focused. It's just my personality. But if there's a firestorm and everything just becomes an absolute mess, I'm like, okay, if you know, it's been happening like this for the last five hours. This is insane. I'll light a cigarette and I'll walk around the block a couple of times. And I come right back in the office, make a cup of coffee and sit right back down at my desk and handle it and get it done to the best that I can. You know, um, I've never really had a problem with, uh, you know, with dealing with the stress or dealing with, you know, a firestorm event, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a firestorm with every job, every, every line of work that you do, it's going to be there. So, 
So the two things that I'm, I'm hearing and uh, want to just point it out to, to help people also deal with, you know, because like you shared, they're always going to come. So what you do is you, you, you essentially change your state. You get you remove yourself from whatever that firestorm is for a moment. Do what you need to do. You're actually when you're smoking, you're actually changing your physiology. You come back in, you grab a cup of coffee, you just get recentered, and then boom, you don't go, the world is over, woe is me. You don't just scream and cry and complain about you know how things should be the way you want them. You just acknowledge the way they are, step back, and then take action. Yeah, more or less, I mean, you can't panic. You know, and I mean, if you look at emergency service, it's the same thing, you know? A fireman goes into a burning building and there's a structural malfunction. You can't panic. You have to know how to handle that situation. Yep. The police department, you know, a guy's robbing a bank and he comes out and they start shooting at each other. You have to be trained to know how to deal with that situation. It's the same thing in every line of work. Yep. You just learn and teach yourself how to focus and how to take care of that. And it's really, it's not very hard. You know, it's <laughs> not hard at all. You know, I mean... It's, you know, I've had some pretty bad firestorms in the last like 35 years. And I'll tell you, that's the thing that works the best for me. I'm like, all right, this is an absolute mess. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette, walk around the block. I come back in, I sit down, look at everything without anything in front of me and handle it. And it gets done. Love it. So when it came to you shared about, you know, the you're putting in the QR, the, the codes and all of that stuff. Um, did technology what, you know, created such interesting challenges in the production side for you in the marketing side? Did you have any obstacles or did you have to reeducate yourself on technology? And is did you see anyone not adapt to what the new technology was offering? Yeah, I mean, technology is constantly changing. Um, if you stop and you look at, like, obviously, you know, audio and engineering. You know, you remember back in the day, you had a Harris Council or a Neve yep. and a two inch high back Studer, you know, and everything was analog. Yep. You know, and you then along came everything in work. and write everything down. Yeah. Yep. And then along came Simpty Time Code, you know. <laughs> And then you were able to do 48 track by syncing up two tape machines yep. and you were able to automate, you were buying automated councils, you know? So, I mean, everyone's like gets intimidated by it, but there's nothing to be intimidated by. It's that simple. You, if you don't know, you learn. That's all you do. Um, digital is pretty much the same concept. Instead of putting in a CD or a cassette or an album on a turntable, you're opening a file, you're double clicking on it, you're playing it with Winamp, and it's a WAV file. Mm -hmm. That's all you're doing. You know, it's or it's an MP3 file. You know, you look at it, there's no data. Well, all right, we have to put the metadata in. You have to save the name of the band and what the album is and the name of the track, you know, and put all the info in. In most, a lot of cases, it's there when I get it, but a lot of cases, it's not, you know. And then if I send it to radio, you know, radio guys, especially college stations, they're going to download stuff. It's going to be all over their desktop. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I had that. What is it? Is this it? Is that it? And they're going to go clicking on files and they're not going to know what it is because there's no metadata. <laughs> so, you know, and you need that too for a media base. Yeah. And you also need that for digital, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify, 
or any streaming service, the code has to be there so that we know what the spin detections are and we have actual spin counts because the radio charts are put together by spins. When when st streaming came out, what was your relationship with that? What did you think about it, you know, with uh, the iPod and and then the streaming services? Was that were was there any fear? Um, obviously, some of the artists are not as happy as they'd like to be because they're not getting paid as much through the, the streaming. Um, how did when it first started coming out, what was your thought about it? Well, I mean, if we're going to go back to like the early days of file sharing, no, I mean, I think as the industry as a whole should have gotten together and did something about that because it really, it really hurt the entire industry. Yeah. And a lot of people really think, you know, they're going to stop and look at Metallica for going after Napster. And, you know, I completely agreed with Lars mm -hmm. on that whole concept because, you know, think about it. It costs a lot of money to keep the machine oil. Okay. Yeah. You got payroll, you got utilities, you got manufacturing costs, you got T and E. Okay. You have artist expenditures, you have TORP support. And that money's got to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? Selling records. You know? So, you know, that that really put a damper in what we did. And then when when streaming became pretty predominant. You know, I, I think it's a great idea. The concept's brilliant. I love it. The, the only thing is, you know, obviously the Trump administration signed into law that, you know, they had to raise the royalty mm -hmm. rate because they know record companies were lobbying for that forever. But I guess Congress never set the rate. And I don't really know the protocol on how you have to go about, you know, Congress mm -hmm. has to go about doing that. But, you know, it's already signed into law. I guess nobody figured out like, well, what are we going to make the new royalty rate so everybody can actually get paid for their work? Right. You know, it's, it's so legit. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm confident that eventually they'll work it out and that, you know, we will have uh, everybody's going to uh, get a little paid a little bit more because mechanicals is still king of the hill. Yep. Yeah. So what what advice or what are you seeing also with the fact that the the cool thing about the technology, it's it's now you can create kind of your cult following. You could not be signed now and be able to get your music out the way you never could 20, 30 years ago. Um, yeah. How like have you ever been approached by a an independent who wasn't signed and they were like, hey, you know, Muncie, I can you get me on on the radio to uh, to to start you know promoting? Yeah, I, I get hired by the artists a lot, and we've even back when I first started the company, we got hired by the artists pretty often. You know, um, it would come from the label management. Uh, I mean, in some cases, the band's agent called and hired us. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know we've had, you know. You know, guys that were in bands where their parents just had money and said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna pay for this." I said, "Okay, it makes sense," or "Okay, it doesn't make sense." Leave your money in the bank. You know, you know, you have to stop and weigh the option of: Is it really worth it to spend and allocate a budget on something if all you're going to get is this? Okay, so <clears throat> hypothetically, you know, I don't really care who it is that's hiring us. It's everyone that's hiring us, but it's an, it's an independent artist marketplace right now. Right. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. 
because when I was 17, we didn't have any of it. You know, if you weren't signed and you didn't have 30 or 40 grand in the bank, you weren't making a record, you weren't going anywhere until you got signed. You know, and a lot of bands back then, well, why did I sign everything away? Well, you see what it costs to do it. and The record didn't do anything. You know, somebody lost a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's and and also one of the things that I notice, I, I think for you know your experience has been really kind of special and cool because you've you've been at labels at different size. So like some of these giant labels, these behemoths, don't have the same flexibility and they have a real difficult time bringing a, a band from zero to hero. Whereas the, the smaller labels have more passion. They have more, they, they seem to be more nimble and they're doing more like co-oping and, and bringing bands together and creating those, those amazing opportunities. Um, is that still the case? I mean, that- yeah, dude, it, nothing has changed in that aspect from uh you know from independent artists we still see a lot of small bands make their own record and uh one fine example of that was the band nothing face i know you remember those guys Mm -hmm. you know they hired us for their ep then they hired us for the album and uh they did everything completely independent and uh you know they did have a manager who uh helped finance everything and lo and behold, they got picked up by TBT Records, yep. you know, and, uh, you know, there you go. Then obviously, you know, Tom Maxwell went off to play with Hell Yeah with, you know, Vinnie Paul. Yeah. So, you know, that band generated a lot of talent. And it's just one of the things that you look at as an independent artist who did it on their own and then got signed by a big label and became something so it happens all the time so what advice would you have for a band starting out that is wanting to uh, create that type of experience well my first suggestion is take your time making a record if you take your time making a record and then you put it together at the end of at the end of the process you're going to be a lot happier when you wrap everything up and it gets mastered you're going to sit back and listen to it and say, wow, this is good. So some guys can go in a studio and knock out a record in three or four weeks. You know, some guys, it takes three or four months. Yep. doesn't matter if it takes three or four months or three or four weeks. Take your time making a record and get it right the first time. Yep. And obviously don't take opinion from just like guys that you meet sitting out in, at a show somewhere. Because there's probably a reason why their band made five records and they didn't go anywhere, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Don't, you know, don't take advice from a bro- financial advice from a broke person. Yeah. So you know exactly. You know, or asking one of your unemployed friends to buy you drinks and then ask them for advice. Right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you really need the straight up advice, go to somebody that actually knows. If you're a guitar player, oh, dude. Talk to Alex Skolnick, you know, talk to Gary in Exodus, talk to somebody that has made records for years and actually knows what they're talking about. If you're a, you're a bass player, talk to David Ellison, talk to a pro who's actually done it. Not the guy who's unemployed buying people drinks at a bar, because those are the guys that are the worst. Yeah. They'll make you crazy. 
And would, would you say that um, some of those guys are accessible, that you could reach out to them? And, and uh, what advice would you have for someone who wants to reach out to, you know, because I'm a, a huge, I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's how I was able to succeed. And everything I've done is by surrounding myself and being willing, because I know they're accessible. Um, has your experience been, I mean, some people are going to say no or not yet or what have you. That doesn't mean you just go, oh, that's it. I'm not going to meet that person or talk to them. Um, what advice would you have for someone who wants to meet someone to get advice from them who's who's successful and has what you want? A lot of those guys teach at the School of Rock mm. from wherever it is that they are. Um, a lot of them do give lessons, too, you know. And, uh, you know, I know it sounds crazy. They're like, oh, really? I mean, like Jeff Plate, you know from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Metal Church, Sabotage, he gives drum lessons. Yep. And he, you know, he's not insulted at all at the fact because he's an accomplished drummer. You know, that's his craft and he is just good at what he does. So he gives lessons. And if you're going to learn how to play drums, well, that's the kind of guy you want to learn how to play drums from. Yep. A guy who's made records and toured the world because you're going to get the real advice, the real facts and real, and the real example of how it is, okay? Compared to somebody that, hey, I mean, I'm not saying somebody's a bad musician, but you just want to learn from somebody that's been there. That's who you want to learn from. Well, and also what you're going to learn is is kind of what we're, get, you know, kind of sharing and, and is the mindset because it's more than yeah. just talent, right? You know, it's also understanding how important, like you shared, the having the relationships. It's not just making calls. It's building relationships, not burning bridges. It's, you know, th being flexible yet focused. It's all of those other things where, you know, some people, like, they they may watch you. And right now, I'm sure you make it, probably for the last 20 years, you've made what you do look easy. Uh, because you've you've put in the time, you've got the you know you've got the sweat equity, you've got all of that, and the only reason why it looks easy is because you've been doing it for so long. Well, you know, I mean, dude, listen to Alex Skolnick shred on guitar, okay? Listen to David Ellison shred on bass, you know. Go listen to Chuck Billy; he's pushing sixty. Listen to him shred on vocals, you know. Yeah, they make it sound easy, but. There's a little talent that goes along with it. There's a little bit of know-how that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of factors. I mean, you just have to take your time with it and learn. And it just comes. Yep. After a while, it just comes and it becomes natural. And it becomes second nature. That's how you learn. Yep. And the cool and thing. None of us are going to stop learning. Me and you will be 70 years old and we're still going to be learning new stuff every oh, day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. As soon as, once we, the, the three worst words that we could ever utter in the English language to form a sentence that will stop us dead in our tracks, I know that. Once we say that, screwed. <laughs> now that's it. It's over. Yeah. It's over. D dead in the water. And the cool thing about like School of Rock and Meat Hook and all these other opportunities is, yeah, you hire them for some lessons and you get that. You also just get that, you know, those those quick moments like to ask a question and, you know, just build that relationship. And, and the truth is, is truly successful people love helping other people succeed. Absolutely. Well, that's really what it comes to. And that's what it's all about. You know, I mean, if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't take the time to realize it's not all about me, 
this gig that we do is all about your client base. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the bands you represent, your whole roster. It's about the record companies and management and the band's agent, you know, and everything all the way down to, you know, the girl work and the ticket window at a venue. Because if there's not radio or press support in a market, well, then maybe the show may not sell, yep. you know? So we all have to kind of jump in and work hand in hand to make something happen, you know? And the beauty of a lot of the fresh blood coming in is that you can always tell somebody with talent. They always have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We always can like, Hey, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. I'm like, no, that is definitely not going to work. Well, why didn't I think of that? Right. You know? Yep. So it's be one of two things. So it's, you know, it's a, always a good thing, you know, to like look at the perspective from somebody coming in, you know? Yeah. What's something that like a crazy thing that someone asked you to do that when they told you that you were like, that is nuts. And you did it and it worked. Was there something, you don't have to mention the band necessarily, but was there like a particular thing that you remember like, man, when we did that, I thought that was, you know, we were kind of taking a chance, but it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had a few of those that that have come along, you know, they, the band really wants to do this. I'm like, that is utterly insane. Okay. If that's what you want to do, that's what we're going to do. Okay. And then we do it. And all of a sudden we're like, wow. Look at that. It actually happened. So what would be an example of something like that you you would think is insane that someone would, you know, suggest? All right. We had one artist that we worked. Now, this this isn't uncommon. And personally, I think it's insane. But <laughs> keep releasing singles all the way up until street date, with the exception of one track. All right. And then on street date, release the last track, you know. To me, that is absolutely insane and complete insanity because you kill your first week sales. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everybody's heard the record for three or four months leading up into street day. You know, now I kind of always suggest not doing it. But in a couple of cases, management insisted on doing it. We said, okay, and we did. And it actually did work in one or two cases. And in many other cases, it didn't work. And it was the same thing as I figured. First week sales on SoundScan were like, they did what? Oh, it was like double digits. That's it. Like double digits as in 10 or 11. Right. Instead of seeing like 12,000. Right. <laughs> you know? So you bring up a, a, another great point, and this may or may not have contributed to some of the challenges and demise of uh, some of the way uh, things were done uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. It got to a point where it's almost like they, the, the record would have like two singles. Like where, you know, we had gotten to the point where there were some records where like almost every song was like a, a huge hit or at least awesome. And then it got to a point where it just felt like, okay, they got to, you know, it's like they hired a, a songwriter to help them write this, you know, one or two cool single. And then the rest of the record was not as good. Um, is that still happening? Did you notice that as a, a pattern back then? Now, that's a little more probably pop music than metal, but I know same really in metal i mean you don't really get a lot of that in metal you do you do have people come in but when they bring in a guest appearance they're going to bring in a guest appearance of hey let's get let's get somebody good you know what 
I think Ted from Death Angel would be ideal for this. Let's ask Ted if he wants to do this. Right. You know, you get a guest appearance. And in that point, now you have an, uh, a new artist that doesn't really have that national or global notoriety yet. They're working on their debut record and they have somebody of notoriety on the record. That's huge. Yeah, you're okay. part of the family. So it, yeah, so it kind of gives the band some credibility. And, you know, obviously a lot of well-known artists sometimes don't like doing it because it depends on the band. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of bands will ask you, but, you know, listen to, you know, if they're going to listen to the tracks and be like, ah, I don't like it, I don't, I don't want to do it, you know? Have you ever orchestrated any of those kind of situations? Have you ever, you know, put together a super group or reached out and said, hey, you know, it would be really cool if, uh, you know, we brought so-and-so on? Nah, I mean, it's always been a long-standing point in the industry not to interfere with a band making a record uh -huh. or how they what they want to do when it comes to picking band members. Let the band make a record, let them deliver a record, and then... If the late record company picks up on the option, then it comes to us and we'll go to work. Okay. I don't want to be that guy that say, you know, our radio promo guy told us to do that, <laughs> you know? Okay. And then when something becomes another mess, they're like, oh, our radio promo guy told us to do that, <laughs> you know? And then you look like a schnook, you know? <laughs> Keep clean. No, and I think this is all instructive because I, I, you're demonstrating, again, your philosophy of staying focused and doing what you know best and delivering so you can be consistent. And, you know, that's what people need is that trust. They, they can trust you. They, they know that you obviously know what you're doing. And they also trust that you're not going to get out of your lane, that you're going to just, you know, be a master at your craft without trying to, you know, juggle something while you're also, uh, you know, shooting yourself out of the cannonball. Yeah. Brilliant. So, well, that's, you know, that's that's how you stay focused in a gig. But, you know, it's not only me. That's that's kind of an industry standpoint. You know, so if you see somebody step in, the only person that should really step in and tell a band, you know, or direct a band or try to focus them on something is their manager. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what management is there for. Let the band make a record, you know. And, you know, if something's wrong, he can guide in on it, you know? Totally. So when is your book coming out? Or have you already written one? Nah, you know what, dude? I haven't even thought about writing one. I really should, shouldn't I? You, I'm sure you have some amazing insights to share and incredible stories that would be, uh, you know, like, in, like really powerful. Because uh, people are hungry for like a pathway to to success, to growth, to understanding. And, and also they, they always want to kind of get in like under the hood, right? And it's always nice if you can drop some names, but even still your name. So like you, you're sharing like, look, here's what I did. And here's some of the stories, some of the adventures that we went on. And then obviously, you know, if there's some records that people go, wow, that's how that happened. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was huge. Whoa, you know, like it really, really gets it could infuse a lot of energy into some uh, some fresh blood yeah i should actually look at possibly writing a book one day i'd like to do that but it's you know the other concept is where am i getting the time you know 60 hours a week in the office yeah it's kind of crazy you know when i have my, when i have me time 
I'd rather be sitting on my couch, okay, or go out and take my motorcycle out and go do something or, you know, whatever, you know, because at night, you know, obviously you have a lot of shows at night. And if everything goes as planned by July, we're going to be back into full swing and touring. Yep. Which I can't wait for. We so need it right now. Gosh, are people, are bands starting to play? Because we, I, I know it's a completely different sector, but uh, uh, Jimmy Buffett is playing down here uh, at uh, in Del Rey at um, Old School Square. Four nights sold out in two minutes. And then someone, wow. someone sold uh, a pod. They're selling pods. So the way they're doing it is they're doing like little four seat things. Um, holds like 800 people. It's outside. Someone bought one and then sold a, t- a four seat pod for 12 grand. Wow. People are hungry to get out again. Dude, I'm telling you, this by the middle of this summer, end of the summer, it's going to be like the roaring 20s. I remember like watching all those, all the video footage on the History Channel, the roaring 20s when <laughs> Prohibition was over. Yep. Dude. It's going to take two or three years for everyone to get their yayas out and just let's do this, you know. Yeah, I, and it's going to be exciting. I mean, I'm I'm really praying for you know the bands who have you know an artist who've been able to stay together, stay focused, and all that, so they could just come out and you know like we we do it obviously in a, a way that um, doesn't cause fear, um, you know. Like and again, you know, to go down that, that rabbit hole, Florida. We're having the events. We've been open this whole time, so we, you know, we have proof of concept. So I, I really hope that uh, that that continues. I think that you know people are hungry. They need it. I mean, it's just it's been bananas. I'm sure that people yeah, talking to are, are freaking out. Yeah, it's going to happen. And you know, I've said this, and a lot of people have said this. You didn't need to shut down venues and everything. We would have been fine. Yeah. You know, we, we saw a lot of problems with H1N1 and the SARS virus, you know, but they didn't shut everything down. People were just a little more careful, yeah. you know, and that's all you had to be. And, and I think, you know, now we're probably going to see like an explosion in live entertainment. It's going to be to the point of I don't think anybody can afford to go to every show. <laughs> right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what kind of price points because the ve- everyone's been hurting. So, like, how, like, what kind of ramp up are they going to be able to do to get back, you know, back flush again? Because these venues have been losing money. Well, I mean, the one thing I, I think that's really stopped a lot of touring is you can't put a national act in a, a venue like let's say it's the bowery ballroom right or you know irving plaza or even the gramercy you can't do those at 25 percent or 50 percent cap right. with a national pouring out yeah you know you're gonna go broke before the do- before you even turn the lights on yep or you gotta you charge know, like five grand a ticket yeah you're gonna be charging 150 200 a ticket okay and uh i just it's just not you know cost efficient yep fans aren't going to buy tickets you're going to take a bath and it's just going to suck you know so i what i they really need is a hundred percent capacity and at a hundred percent capacity then you at least have the option where all right we only sold 300 tickets we're going to take a we're going to take a hit or hey we sold 1500 we just sold out beautiful you know yeah i think it's going to be a lot more selling out than uh than not because it's oh, yeah. it's yeah well needed um so 
when when that all happens, will that be like a, another growth spurt for skateboard marketing? Like, will you expand to help? Like, how big is your organization now? How many people is in, you know, kind of on? Well, we have two people. Actually, I have three. Uh, I have two on staff and I have an intern. Uh-huh. You know, but uh, when that all happens, it'll stay the same. Okay. You know, the one thing I learned is when things get busy and you grow, eventually things will not be as busy and you have to downsize, mm. you know? So when the roller coaster is up, it just means you're out insanely busy. When the roller coaster goes down, you have a little breathing room, you know? And that goes both ways, financially and workload. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if it was to the point of we expanded and had more stuff like we have metal contraband now, but I had to bring somebody in to oversee a lot of that because I can't do it all myself. Right. So what what do you see the, the future of skateboard marketing? Are you uh, like, do you have a, uh, a person who is uh, going to one day take it over or is like, what's the... I don't know. It's going to be... I mean, I'm not going to be doing this forever. At some point in my career, I'm going to be, I've had enough and I need to throw the towel in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want, to sit, I want to sit down and relax a little bit, you know, that that day is going to come. And, uh, well, that's when you write knows? your book. You know, I could, I, maybe that's when I'll write my book, you know? <laughs> um, and then maybe at that point I'll look at somebody taking the company over, you know? It's so, but it's not something that's in your uh, like you don't have an exit strategy already planned. It's nah, I mean, dude, I'm gonna be here for at least another 15, 20 years before I get ready to retire, you know. So, so I got, so I got some time to really think about it, you know. <laughs> totally. So, where do you see the industry going? Do you see any like shifts, anything that you think is going to happen in the industry that is uh, any changes based on either technology or, uh, you know, desire or the way things are delivered? Yeah, um, I see probably within the next five years, downsizing becoming a major concept. I mean, when I worked for a major label, it was colossal. We had like five, six floors, right. you know? I mean, legal affairs had their own floor, you know? Yep. And, you know, it was insane, you know? And accounting had like half of the floor on one half of the side with like 25 people. You know, you're not really, I'm, you know, that that's all gotten to the point of, that's just become prehistoric. Right. You know, of having that many people doing that many things. You know, everyone's going to start downsizing. We, we're already seeing it. It's getting smaller and smaller, where you even go up to some of the majors now, and uh, instead of eight floors, you have three floors, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's consolidated on three. And then in other cases, people are working from home. Yeah, You know, I've worked from home since day one with this company. And I do kind of miss going into an office. I love commuting, you know? <laughs> well, I shouldn't say I love commuting. I like going into the office and interacting with people. I like to be around people, right. you know? But, um, you know, a lot of we're going to see a lot of people working from home. We're going to see a lot of people working remotely. And uh, everything's going to consolidate and get a lot smaller than it already is. Yeah. Yeah, I, actually, I, I was uh, talking to, we, we uh, talked a little bit about AD, you know, Roundtree, uh, and he's he's doing all his broadcasts from his house. 
And he's like, I don't want to yeah. go into the studio. I don't, I don't need to go into the studio. Why would I do that? Everything I, everything I need is right here. And I just send everything in. Um, so, it, you know, pros and cons to all of that, of course, um, you know, depending on also how hard you're working. Well, you know, Fingers does that at BAB, Voice Tracks at Home. Yep. You know, Chelsea, who works in my office, um, she works at BAB and she does traffic. She voice tracks at home and sends it in. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're still going to need the air studio. Right. But in a lot of cases, you're not going to need the colossal building that you had with 30, 40 or 50 people in it. Yep. You know, you're going to get a smaller space. That's a quarter of the price. You know, you'll have a conference room. You'll have a couple of offices and a couple of air studios and an editing room. And, you know, there it is. That's all you need. Yep. And what's interesting, you know, when you talk about the labels, uh, you know, there was that that curve, right? So there was there was a bunch of the big labels, and then they just started con- buying all the smaller labels, right? And then they got just so big, and and now it's starting to implode, or it's been imploding, where like, oh, you know, maybe we didn't need to have all of that. No, not at all. That's what happens when you grow too fast too soon. Yep. You know, it's always good to grow very slowly because as as after a while you get to a certain point, you start to realize, man, I'm happy I didn't do that. You know, I'm happy I didn't get office space numerous times yeah. when the roller coaster went down and I stayed at home. Yeah. You know, so, you know, really in a nutshell, uh, I mean, growing is good, but also growing too much and being too big is not good. Well, yeah, it's it's the geometric growth as opposed to just rocket growth, right? So you're you're holistic. Very, very Solomon of you. Uh, you know the story of Solomon and the ring. Uh, no, I don't. So uh, Solomon, he's uh, you know, the, uh, this may have been Solomon or not, but um, he uh, very wise man. Or when well, no, it wasn't Solomon, it was uh, this king. It was the it was like Merlin. It was the jester. So he goes to the his jester and he's like, you know, I need something that is going to you know remind me that you know that it's going to be okay. You know, like when things get really bad, I need it to kind of give me some confidence and certainty. But I also need something that you know keeps me grounded so when things are going really well that I don't kind of lose myself in all of that hype you know I need to stay balanced and uh so the the wizard came back and hands him a ring that just has one simple sentence this too shall pass wow so that's right yeah so you know things are gonna gonna have the firestorm it'll pass we're also gonna have some huge huge wins and those are also going to pass. And it's it's being able to ride that that coaster and enjoy it, but also know that, you know, I'm also gathering from you, which is instructive, I think, that your relationship with the firestorm isn't that you feel like, ah, this shouldn't happen or, or whatever. You just know it's coming and it's part of the fun in its own way. Not to say that you're kind of going, yeah, let's, let's have a firestorm. Let's have this things go crazy, but you're also, you know, knowing that it's going to happen. So you don't get necessarily resentful or angry. You just deal with it. And then you get to look back and go, wow, that was effed up. Like, but look, we did it. And, and you have that, that sense of accomplishment. Well, you know, James, James Hadfield said it all, ride the lightning. (laughs) 
Love it. it. Ride the lightning. The wave is going. Ride the lightning. Yep. Ah, uh, the roller coaster went down. That's okay. You got a lifeboat. You'll be fine. It's going to go back up again. Yep. The thunderstorm's coming, and you're going to ride the lightning again, and things are going to be fine. Yeah. You know? Brilliant. So, I, you know, I, I'm so glad that, you know, you also were able to help so many bands and artists during this challenging time because I'm sure for them, they were freaking out. So you you were able to give them a bolt of lightning to ride in a very uncertain time, um, which is which is huge um, and uh, definitely appreciate it. And any final words? I want to you know, respect our time here and, and it's getting late. Any final words of advice, anything that you would have liked to have learned? Like, was there something that maybe advice that maybe you were given and you didn't take and you look back and go, ah, now I see what they mean. Or is there any advice you would have given a younger Munzee? Yeah. Um, any advice I, I would have gave to myself though. I mean, the one thing I learned at major label, you know, every major label, the politics kind of get a little bit thick, you know? And, you know, when I, when I had first started, you know, I was straight out of college radio very opinionated. I'm 24 years old. You know, I'd rather go out and drink and get in a circle pit than play politics. Right. You know, I wanted to do my gig. But one thing you do have to learn is, you know, there's a certain way of the way things are done. And there's a reason why things are in place that way. Okay. So just if you don't get over aggressive and you take your time to really learn the real reason why things are that way, you know, obviously if you look at rappers, don't condemn the player, condemn the game, you know, yep. you know, you take your time and you, and you know, your, your agility to learn that and then guide your way through and kind of navigate the landscape is probably going to be the most essential thing you're going to learn in your career. It'll make you a lot more effective and you'll have a much longer career. Brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, I, I guess uh, people skills. Yeah, people skills. You have to be a people person. Yeah, and you have to be a little smart enough to figure something out. Yeah, which I don't know if you were that smart where we can figure it out yet. Because, but whatever, it's fine. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I think what we both have also learned is that if we don't know, we could find someone to ask and have no shame in that. Like, just say, hey, just curious. I have no shame in asking somebody something I don't know. Yeah. No big deal. It, to think that someone would, uh, anybody would know everything is insane. So I think that, and, uh, you know, and here's a, a little shift around that for anyone who struggles with this. Um, have you ever given advice and felt really good that someone asked you a question and you were able to to help, you know, share some of your wisdom? Yeah, actually, I have. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of people ask you like, hey, how do I deal with this? How do we get through this situation? This is a mess. And I just say, hey, this is what I would do. Yep. But this is this is me. Right. And I'm not you and somebody else will have a different opinion. Of course. But you enjoy you know I mean? sharing it like you you like knowing oh, that. Man. Yeah. So my suggestion to anyone who whoever worries that they don't want to ask a question or look stupid is you're denying a gift to someone who would appreciate the opportunity to share 
some of their life experience, some of their opportunities to say, hey, look, I've been there. I get it. I was, you know, I was in that position before. Here's here's what I would do if I were you. And there's that exchange actually helps create powerful relationships. And that's, you know, back to being a people person, you know, being willing to just honor someone's like experience by kind of going, hey, like you've done some amazing stuff. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I have no shame in asking advice on social media. Like, I mean, we've done our own socials for the last 12, 13 years, you know. I mean, we got a decent amount of followers, but everything we have is real, you know, and I like to know exactly where we are, where we stand. And I still have no shame in asking somebody who's doing social media or at a major who's 26 years old. Yeah. Hey, dude, how do you get that done? Yeah. I've always done this. You mean to tell me this is working better for you guys? Maybe I should try that. Dude, there's no shame in it. Don't be afraid to ask. Well, and actually you bring up another great perspective for, you know, maybe some of us who are a little bit older um, that we're afraid to ask someone younger than us how they're doing something like give them that gift as well because they know that there's stuff that we've done that they have never done and they're going to be coming to us at some point as well so it's you know it's really a great opportunity to create that exchange of wisdom and and uh experience yeah that's why there's no i in we and it all reverts around one thing team yep it's a one. It's a team effort between the whole staff and all parties involved. Let's make this happen. Yep. And how apropos, this is Teamwork Tuesday. Um, we I do uh, like I, each of the days. I have a, uh, a little thing and that we'll do a talk on. And Tuesdays it's teamwork. Mondays it's momentum. Wednesdays it's warriors. Thursdays it's transformation. And Fridays it's gratitude. So each of those days kind of go, okay, what are we going to do today to build momentum? What are we going to do today to celebrate team? What are we going to do today to step up, be a warrior? How, how are we transforming? And then at the end of the week, how can we be grateful? Um, so with that being said, I am ever so grateful for you taking your most valuable asset and investing in everyone who participates in this, investing in me. Um, it's, you know, I obviously watching your success over the years has been, you know, insane. I, I lament a little bit that I'm not in the music industry like I was, but my heart is still there and I incorporate it in everything that I do. But God bless you for, <laughs> for keeping at it and, and keeping the, the flow and, and getting the music out there to, to really help people transform their uh their state uh, doug i really appreciate you inviting to have me on the show dude that's awesome i love doing podcasts it's brilliant this is such a i mean again great way to technology leveling playing field right i mean who who knew 20 years ago that anyone could come out and create such wonderful conversations and add so much value and you don't need a big giant studio you don't need a radio station all you need is a microphone a computer and a website yeah, that's usually the way it, it works. It's funny how things work that way, isn't it? Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's it, my brother. Awesome. Well, if there's anything that obviously I could do for you, me contacts, Sue contacts, me resources, Sue resources, um, I, I truly appreciate you for who you are and who you aren't. And uh, I look forward to you know participating in more rock in the future for sure. Absolutely, brother. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you, and uh, thank you again so much, and we will rock soon. 
You got it, Doug. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having us on. I really appreciate you taking the time to hear our story. <laughs> you got it, brother. Thank you. Right, Talk to you in a bit. Peace. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here and we look forward to serving you even more remember download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com that's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety busting meditation We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.